0: Thrive Church, how are we doing today? All right, it's good to have you guys with us, and happy Independence Day. Uh, We're starting a new series, and every July we do this at Thrive. It's something strategic we do. We talk about the values of our church, like what are the things that drive our behaviors? What are the things that matter most to our church? You can visit a church and hear preaching and hear worship and say, how I like that, I connect with that. And at the end of the day, most Protestant churches have pretty similar beliefs, But what differs is what they value. Like every family has has different values, right? If I talk with you about your family and what you grew up with valuing, you would tell me something like, man, we really value doing this or doing that. Or maybe hockey was a value in your family. It wasn't for me or whatever it was. Well, Thrive Church has values. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at that in this series called DNA uh, Match. And what I want to do to kick off this series is talk to you about how churches and Christians have something in common with fast food. Like, you probably wouldn't believe me if I told you, but did you know that the average American spends half of their food budget on fast food? That sounds crazy, but it's true. Or realize this about fast food. It's one of the number one causes of why heart disease is the number one killer in our country. And it's interesting of what fast food and church both have in common. And if you fall into the same mindset about church that that we do as fast food, it will not only damage your life as a believer, but it will hurt the local church. And not only does our church in some ways deal with this, like every church does and every believer does, but in the first century, Paul actually dealt with this with a church, the church in Corinth. you have your copy of God's Word, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 14. So, Think about Corinth. In the first century, and you can even visit that place today, it was kind of like Las Vegas meets New York City, right? Like Sin City. It was something of darkness there. And these believers were getting saved. There were no churches anywhere. Paul parachutes in, not literally, but, you know, figuratively parachutes in. He's preaching the gospel there. People begin to get saved. But they are so entrenched in paganism and immorality, The church at Corinth, Paul speaks more to them about sexual immorality than any other church. He's like, come on, y'all, keep it between the ditches, right? Like, come on. And he's just like, can you not, for just one weekend, not go and do that? And so Paul's always dealing with these things. But what else was unique about the church at Corinth was they were a very spiritual church. If you visited their church, they were kind of like, you know, that Pentecostal church you didn't want to invite your family to, (laughs) Or your friends too. It was a little over the top. And so what Paul does in his first letter to the church at Corinth, he addresses a lot of issues about their behaviors and their beliefs. But then he, he goes in this like tangent for three chapters on spiritual gifts and spiritual giftings. First Corinthians 12, he talks to the church about their spiritual gifts and how what it should look like and how they're probably missing the mark. Then he just goes in this chapter about love. And you guys have, at every like— Great marriage, you know, ceremony. You hear 1 Corinthians 13. And he talks about love. That if you have you can be gifted as all get out, but if you don't have a Christ-like love, it doesn't matter. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul does this. It's probably one of the weirdest chapters in the Bible, one of the most misunderstood and misapplied. Paul talks to them about their church services. So, like, one thing I do for churches is I help churches out with consulting. And I talk to them about preaching or their church services or their systems. Paul kind of pauses and becomes a church consultant. He says, time out, church at Corinth. I I need to talk to you for a second. Like, when I went to your church, I walked in and everybody was, like, just speaking in tongues the whole time. It was crazy. And he said, I don't think you're getting the point of church. I don't—I think you're missing the point— of what we're supposed to be doing here. I think you're missing some very important things about what happens at a worship service, what God wants, and what you should be aware of when you're worshiping together. And so Paul talks about, you know, again, the tongue stuff, and I know it's kind of weird for people and strange, but there's a principle that even transcends that. I want to show you that Paul talks about. And it's the problem with the church at Corinth. It's the problem with the church in America. It's the problem with the church in the world wide right now. And in 1 Corinthians 14, here's what he says to that church. He says, even so, he kind of continuing that thought, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they're going to think y'all crazy. Now that's, you know, my translation kind of He said, you don't think you're crazy. But if all of you are prophesying, and what that means is to speak the Word of God with boldness to each other, to be full of the Word of God when you see your brothers and your sisters of Christ when you're meeting together and gathering in small groups or of church, he said, if they see that, and unbelievers, did you hear that? Uh, unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, watch this. They will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. And that's a good thing, not bad when it says judged by what you say. That means they actually feel like, man, God's moving in my life. And what Paul was trying to show them here is he said, you know what? It's not about you in the church service. And it's not about you in church and what you want. Because what the church at Corinth had got to was the church service was just all about them. And they forgot about someone super important in the church service, the unbeliever. They forgot about the person kicking the tires of Christianity hearing about this resurrection of Jesus thing in Corinth and seeing maybe a family member's life change from being such a a radical pagan. Now they come into church and they're like, what just happened? I think I'll pass the next time you invite me because I have no clue. I don't understand a thing that was going on. And Paul said, you have forgotten that it's not about you and your Holy Ghost goosebumps in church. It's about the people who don't know Jesus who are coming into your church. It's about the people who walked away from Christianity because they encountered a bad version of Christianity. It's not about the people who gave up hope in God because somebody let them down. It's about the people who gave up hope in the local church because the local church hurt them. And all you're concerned about at church at Corinth is, whoo, I felt good today. (laughs) He's saying you missed the point if that's what your church services are all about. And what they did there was what we do we miss the main thing when it comes to why we are even a local church and I want to just give you this one principle today and I'm going to break this down free yourself from fast food church I'm going to explain it free yourself from fast food church here's what I mean by that Burger King's slogan back in the day was and maybe it still is I don't know anymore (laughs) have it your way have it your way and so many times as believers and as a local church, people just want what they want. It doesn't matter what the purpose is. It doesn't matter if they're reaching people. It's all about the preferences that I want at the, at the, and at the expense of people who are hanging in the balance who don't know Jesus. And so this is so important for me because when I came here nine years ago, I sat with a group of 20 senior citizens. There were four young adults who, uh, you know, decided they just, just, they were crazy in a good way, and they decided to join, join with me. And when I met with this, this group of, of senior citizens, their tradition had been a charismatic Pentecostal tradition. They said, we're, they said, we just don't, we haven't reached anybody. We haven't seen people baptized. Our families have all left. Our church is dying. I said, if I come here to this church, I said, here's what we will do we, when we launch Thrive Church. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to scrap all that excess stuff that doesn't matter, and we're going to focus on the Bible, teaching the Scriptures, and being faithful to the Scriptures. We're going to make the gospel as clear as a bell every single Sunday. We're going to make the gospel clear. And we're going to be a church that unchurched people love to attend, and that unchurched people can come in and see their lives transformed. And man, those, those senior citizens who, the ones who are still alive and are, are still here today are still rocking with us, they were like, let's do this. And that's been the mantra of Thrive. And so out of that, one of our values is called mission, to live on mission. Like you have to realize God did not need another church in Chesterfield County nine years ago. Have you, have you just drove, driven through Chesterfield County recently or in, in Richmond City or the way? God didn't need another building for people just to get together. What God wanted was a missionary outpost where this group of people cared so much about the community that we could reach people who had given up hope in God, who had given up hope in the local church, and given up sometimes hope that people could even love them. And that's why God sent my wife and I here. That's why He sent the team here. That's why He sent you here. And we have to, as believers, continue to pull things back to center and say, you know what? The church is not about us. It's not all about me. But that's the reason, and watch this, this is so important, that's the reason right now in America 1,800 churches a year close the doors. With the pandemic, it it doubled in a year. That's why in America that 80 to 85% of churches are plateaued or dying. If it wasn't for some endowments in some churches, they wouldn't even be open. They're just living off that. That's why even growing churches like a Thrive Church and many other churches, 90% of those churches are not keeping up with the growth of their communities. And I gotta tell you, the hope is not in a political party. The hope is in the gospel. And, And my fear is, is that you got to realize this, is that the reason, amen, that those churches got to that point, the reason we're at this point in America with the local church, can I tell you why why we're here? Because people cared more about their programs and their property than unchurched people. They cared more about their musical preferences. They cared more about the color of the carpet. They cared more about the color of the chairs, the, the, the loudness of the music, than they cared about people who were far from God. And what i want to have it my way. And that's why the local church is where it's at today. And here's the scary part, guys. You can end up getting your way. Oh, you can get your way and ultimately get in God's way. You, you can get your way and ultimately end up getting in God's way. See, there's a thing that God desires and God wants in a local church and God wants for a community— and his biggest hindrance is not Satan. God and Satan aren't duking it out as equals. I just hope you know that, right? Like Satan's a defeated foe, if you didn't know. The greatest hindrance are believers who want their way over God's way. <laughs> Meaning that I want my preferences. I want my—I want, I want it. See, I, I face this. I've told you the story many times. I was in a, in a, a traditional church. And it was predominantly one race, predominantly one socio-economical class in a small rural uh, town. And the youth ministry began to reach all different types of kids and goth kids and prep kids and whatever kids. I mean, just skateboard kids and all types of kids. And the, these kids are all coming in and giving their lives to Jesus, different races, all hanging out together. And some of those deacons in that church said, no, yeah, I ain't going to have my child sitting next to that. No, 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 no. We, we play on a football team together. We ain't going to church together. I never had them dating somebody of that, of that race. Nuh-uh. And what they did was, was they shut all of it down and asked us to leave and go on the other side of town to start another church. They got their way, didn't they? But can we all agree that they got in God's way when they did that? Because a lot of teens were hurt 14 years ago when I was in that that place. A lot of people were hurt because of that. And that's my fear. And so we had this struggle as a believer, and even me as a believer. um, You know, for me, I don't need any of this to do church. I don't get to do church each week. People say, well, I hadn't sat in church in a while. I haven't either. It's been years. (laughs) I take communion at home privately. I read the Scriptures. I pray and I worship. And I have fellowship-level believers. I don't have church services. I don't need any of this that we do in here. If you say, why they got this? Why they got it? I don't need any of it. But it's not for me, is it? I don't pick one song we sing. It's not about me. It's about the people we're trying to reach for Jesus. And if we can reach people for Jesus, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to give it a chance because I don't want to get in God's way, being the pastor of this church. See, Jesus, if you think about it, you struggle with it. Not Jesus struggled with this. Yeah. Matter of fact, Luke, who was doing all this research about, you know, the Gospels, and he was going and interviewing people and trying to find out from the disciples really what happened, and he's compiling this report. He actually talks about the prayer that Jesus prayed, the, the, the night that Jesus was betrayed. And it says here, he writes this in Luke 22, verse 41. It says, he, being Jesus, walked about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. He's like, God, Father, like, like, like if if Buddha can do it, if Muhammad can do it, if any other way can can be the way, let them do it. Because I don't want to suffer. This is going to hurt. I don't want to—Jesus had a way that he wanted, being 100% God, 100% man. This is his man part. But look what he says. He says, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. I want your will to be done, not mine. And and that's got to be the beckoning call of us as believers, saying, I I, I don't want my will to be done. God, I want your will to be done. Whatever that means for me, whatever that means for the kingdom, I want your way, God, not my way. You know, for me, it's something that's personal. Uh, My dad, I don't know if he gave his life to Jesus. Uh, We kind of think he made a a nod going in the ICU about that. I don't know if he's in heaven or not. I'll be honest with you. Um, I'm not one of those guys that, you know, I don't know if he accepted Jesus. If he didn't, then I will probably never see him again. That's the truth of the matter. And here's what's hard. I'll never forget dad one day, went to church. Mom finally got him there. Like he just, he did not like church. He didn't like pastors. He didn't want me going to church. Like he just didn't like it. She finally gets him there one day and I'm standing beside him. And it was, it was my mom's mom's church, his mother-in-law. His mom, he grew up Methodist, which was a lot of liturgy. And, you know, you read, you know, you read the Apostles' Creed each week. It's very quiet. My grandma's church was wild. Wild. About the third song, you know, Miss Lila, she just began to sound like a fire engine. You know, and just, you know, and then people spinning around. It was was wild as a kid. I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just what I, I mean, I, you know, my dad finally gets there and there's a lady behind us and she's just screaming the whole time, just screaming dear the music. My dad's trying to follow the pages. I can see him, man. He's getting angry. He's looking. And then there's a person spinning around. He's, and he's trying to, I'm, and he's looking and he just, he finally shuts the book and sits it down and he sits down. And after the service, his commentary was this. He says, I couldn't hear a thing they were singing. I couldn't even read the words on the page because this lady behind me was screaming. Another one's spinning. He said, this is all a show. He says, son, I ain't got time for this stuff. And he never went back, went back to church again. Now, you would say, if the Holy Spirit's in it, though, oh, yeah, he, no, 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 let me just tell you, there are times that we get our way and we ultimately get in God's way. And they got in the way of my dad. He never went back to church again. That's why it matters so much to me. And it's not about us getting what we want. It's not about our preferences. It's about the mission of Jesus. And here's the key. If we treat church like a fast food restaurant, then we will end up becoming spiritually unhealthy as believers and as a church. I believe that every believer and every church has a health metric. You could like, how healthy is it? And the more convenient you focus, the convenience you focus things on, your own convenient ways, things that you want, make it easy on you, the more a church focuses inwardly and takes the easy way out, the more that it becomes obese. And I say that, I don't mean that in in a derogatory sense. It means that it is focused in on itself only and never contributing anything out and spiritually we could come that way we, we can know so much of the Word of God like I you know I, I talked to one guy said we got a church of mature believers we don't see anybody get saved everybody's really deep and I'm like like uh, how much more Bible study do they need <laughs> I, I mean I mean it's a certain point you've been you've been in Sunday school for 50 years like I mean at some point You can become unhealthy that you're, you're way more educated beyond your obedience. And as a local church, I don't want us to become unhealthy. This series isn't because we're doing something wrong, but do you realize if I ever wake up one day and tell Pastor Keith, hey man, I need to do a series on this because we're this way where it's already too late. Every July, the reason we do this is, I know I'm preaching to the choir, we do this to keep this church focused on what God wants for it, to say, you know what? We refuse to, div- to, to, to go away and deviate from our values. So what do we have to do? It's a pretty cool action thing, and I, and I need some uh, participation here, and it's this. I want you to say this uh, with me. Church isn't about me getting my way. Say, church isn't about me getting my way. Church is about God getting his way. Try that again, that was terrible. Church isn't about me getting my way. Church is about God getting his way. That's that's what we have to keep telling ourselves. And if a church does that no matter how old it gets throughout the years no matter where it goes in the life cycle of a church a church doesn't die you don't see 1800 churches die in a year you see them continually breathing life because they're always focused on God getting his way what is God's way I'm glad you asked that God's way is the fact that he sent his son For God so loved the world, the world. Now, you think when I say world, you're just thinking about the, you know, the big old round world. It's so cute. That word world there, and you wouldn't just know that from just looking at it. That means the people who are in direct opposition to God, the cosmos. Direct. uh, God so loved the people in direct opposition to him that he sent his best gift, his son, for them. And that's God's way. And we've got to make sure as a church that we're faithful to the gospel. We've got to make sure as a church that we're always focused on those yet coming through the door. We've got to make sure as a church that we're laser focused on people coming to faith in Christ. People who've been hurt by church once again getting reconnected uh, to church. People who've given up on church. Just said, I'm done with it now getting connected to the life of a church. And now their families are being changed for generations. That's what we have to focus on, guys. And that's our heart. Now, there's two ways to do this, and the first is this. How does God get His way? Take action instead of just taking. Take action instead of just taking. A a verse that I had here in my notes that I want to just read a portion to you on is this. It's Hebrews 5, and I like what the writer of Hebrews says here. It's about taking and taking action. He says, there's much more in Hebrews 5, 11, There's much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you were spiritually dull. How would you like for your pastor to call you spiritually dull? <laughs> the writer of Hebrews, he was pretty blunt and don't seem to listen. But look what he says. He says, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. He's just ripping them apart here. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. He said, hey, look, he said, stop taking and just take some action. Babies just take, man. That's all they do. The only thing they give you are dirty diapers and sleepless nights, right? Right? So if you're wondering about how, how does God get his way, take action. Take action for the kingdom. What has God called you to do? Have you been mature so long now that the writer of Hebrews would say that to you? And the second thing is this, value what God values most. Anytime you're in a situation, and this is what I like to ask myself, is what would God want in this situation? Do you know the greatest way to have a healthy marriage when you're at odds and you're arguing about something that's really, really dumb, what would God have me do? What does God value most in this situation? And it brings you back. As a local church, we have to do that. What does God value most? Well, there are lots of things God values, but God values people who are alienated from Him and without an, an encounter with the gospel, without an encounter with Jesus Christ, not only will they live a life without the Holy Spirit and joy, but they're destined for eternity in hell. And we are the ones standing in the way of that. And our goal is to plunder hell and populate heaven, to value what God values most. It's those people who don't know Him. And in our society, can I tell you what happens? We're being taught in our society to hate those who are, different than you and who believe opposite than you do and stay as far away from those people as you can whatever political side you're on just stay as far away and god's saying man let me tell you something it's the people that don't believe the things you do it's the people who hate you it's the people who are opposed to you that's what i value because i was once one of those and you were once one of those So I want to encourage you as a church. I want to like just on, you know, this Independence Day, as we look at our values, just to draw us back to center and tell you, this ain't Burger King, baby. You can't have it your way. I can't have it my way. We're going to be a church that through prayer and through the seeking of God's Word, we're going to always look to see what is God's way and what does God want for this church to reach those that are far from Him. And I close with this. I firmly believe that if you have that mindset, God will send you first-time guests to your church. God will. If you think like that, He can trust you with these people. He'll send them to you. And that's what we have to— I believe every first-time guest is a gift to this church, that God divinely sent you to this church. And we value those people because God values those who are far from him and God values those who are disconnected from his local church. Can we continue to be that, guys? Can we continue to be a church that focuses on those who are far from him and ultimately help God get his way? Yes. Amen. Let's pray. Father, today we just come to you. And God, it's, uh, it's much easier to take the path of least resistance in life, to focus on ourselves and what we want We're taught to look out number one in our culture. But God, your one is greater than the 99. It's the one that is far from you. May we be a church that continually focuses on the people who have walked away from their faith, the people who have yet to come to faith, the people who have given up on faith. May we always have our head on a swivel, God, and be ready for those that you send, and be ready to go to those that you send us to, Father. Give us the courage as individuals, Lord, to be kind and share the gospel to all those around us. Give us opportunities, Lord. And we thank you for that. And as we're praying today in this mode of prayer, maybe you're watching this today, and you're saying, I need to take another step. My next step is giving my life to Jesus. Maybe you walked away from your faith and you want to walk, come back to faith in Christ. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Well, today is your day. And it's very simple by just making this confession of faith in a, in a form of a prayer, and you're saying this, you say, God, I need a Savior. I need Jesus. Today I give my life to Jesus. Today, I surrender to Jesus. I believe that He is Lord. I believe that He rose again on the third day. I believe He died for my sins. And today, I receive the full forgiveness of sins. Now, Lord, help me live out my faith for You. It's in Jesus' good name I pray this, amen, amen.